Hey, everybody, this is Harvey Sluggo Wasserman. We're back for the 148th Green Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Zoom call, hosted by Mike Hirsch, Steve Caruso, Wendy Wiederman, uh, Tatanka Bricka, Myla Reese, and so many other great people. Um, we're starting off with uh, 40 people, and we're going to be talking uh, today in the first hour, a monumental um, um, organizing moment. We have some great victories uh, to celebrate and to coordinate and to cross-pollinate our organizing strategies. We have already had the Georgia miracle led by the great uh, Andrea Miller in, in um, Virginia and Ray McClendon in Georgia. And we put out a publication about that, about the Georgia miracle. And we're now joined by the Ohio miracle where um, uh, against all odds, the grassroots defeated a um, right-wing attempt to uh, restrict uh, the rights of uh, the public to change their own constitution. These are two huge, uh, extremely important victories. And uh, uh, we're gonna be joined by organizers from Ohio, especially Ray, uh, Rachel Coyle. Um, uh, Steve, if you can confirm, I don't see her on yet, but hopefully she'll be joining us. Um, he will uh, be. What we wanna do, uh, with the help of Wendy Reiterman and others, is to um, uh, collate a document, uh, a, a guide for uh, 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 organizing into 2024. Uh, John Steiner, I know, is going to be interested in this, as well as uh, Tatanka Bricker. We've talked about that as well. There's a lot of grassroots go organizing going on in California, of course, under the legendary uh, uh, blaze of um, Dolores Huerta. Um, and the farm workers. So we really want to make a this a a touch point, a starting point for a massive coordinate grass coordinated grassroots strategy to make sure that democracy prevails uh, in 2024, and of course in this coming fall, uh, where we have a referendum in Ohio on abortion and I believe on marijuana. Um, I can never remember for some reason when those marijuana re referendums are happening, but um, uh, nonetheless. Um, I want to go to Ray McClendon and then to Andrea Miller in Georgia. I see we're joined by the great Anna Georgie in Western Mass. Hi, Anna. Um, um, and Ray, you have just started a new organization, and I want to go to um, uh, Andrea to talk about the kinds of grassroots strategies we're going to be putting in place uh, in the upcoming campaigns uh, for control of the Congress, the presidency, and also, you know, at this point in time, some very important uh, referenda on uh, women's rights, um, um, uh, uh, pot, and so on. So, Ray, can you give us a, a clue as to what's, what your latest moves have been? And then we'll go to Andrea. Sure. Thank you, Sluggo. Uh, I'm pleased to announce that uh, I, along with uh, several of the folks that worked at the Atlanta NAACP, as well as the State Conference of the NAACP, have stepped down from that organization to start a new 501c3 uh, called Communities United for Justice. Uh, the purpose of this organization will be to not only continue, but to expand the work uh, that we started with uh, Team Unity, with uh, the great work that Andrea Miller has done at, at Center for Common Ground, uh, in order to be much more, to coordinate more uh, effectively and, and efficiently collaborate more effectively and efficiently, not only in Georgia, but also uh, across other 
uh, battleground states where, where with the good work that Andrea has done, we've identified those states have that either have close to a, a majority uh, in, in some states, an absolute majority of BIPOC voters. Uh, what this does is give us the ability to take what we've done with the, the Georgia miracle or the Georgia way and to expand that uh, without any jurisdictional concerns that we had under the NAACP to be able to um, go into the other um, battleground states across the Southern Crescent and beyond. So we're, we're excited about taking these um, collaborations that we've been working on for the last three election cycles uh, using this new uh, 501c3 that we're, we put together to now start planning a strategy for both the 2023 off-year elections and be in position uh, to jumpstart 2024 uh, moving into the early primary season with a renewed, uh, reinvigorated effort. So we're excited about uh, this new organization, and, and it comes at a perfect time for us because we are, as Sluggo, you've been asking us to connect with, with, with uh, like-minded organizations in other states. Uh, we've taken that to heart, and now we're in, in position to work with uh, Andrea and others in these other states and take these uh, same components that were successful in Georgia and work with similar organizations in the other states to move forward. Well, that's great news. Uh, what is the, um, uh, will you put the uh, name and the links to your new organization in the chat so well, everybody can uh, sign up with you? We are okay. Rachel Coyle. I assume you're gonna be in multiple states, Ray, is that correct? That's, absolute, that's absolutely right. Um, we, we wanna focus on um, number one, the Southern Crescent. Um, from from Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi. Uh, but we're also looking at other targeted states such as Ohio, where we know that there are will will it will be a critical battleground state and where many of the organizations that we have worked with here in Georgia are also in existence in those states. Uh, some of which have already reached out to us uh, to want to replicate the Georgia miracle in their respective states. Uh, and, and those organizations, as an example, uh, in, in virtually every battleground state, uh, there, there is um, the, the uh, Divine Nine uh, organizations are already operating. Uh, we know that in many of these same states, the uh, Prince Hall Masons that um, you and I have talked a great deal about and that was very effective with us here in Georgia also operate. So, so many of the organizations that we uh, have proven to be solid grassroots organizations that can be effective in Georgia also in these other states. So we need to, we're, we're planning to take the same expertise into those states to help them organize in, in a similar fashion. Fantastic. That's really great. I, I assume along the way you're going to try and merge uh, the SEC with the Big Ten. Is that is that? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's 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 way above my pay grade. So I'll, I'll leave that to you, Sluggo. Okay. Well, that's fantastic stuff. So everybody listening, you know, Ray is one of the great grassroots organizers of our time, 
and that he's got now a new organization that we will be able to work with state by state um, and to really uh, deploy the kinds of tactics and strategies that have been used in Georgia and now Ohio. And we're joined by Rachel Coyle from Ohio, just coming off her uh, a, a great victory there on the referendum. Let's go to uh, Andrea Miller, um, and then we'll go to uh, Rachel Coyle, and then we'll go. We'll be joined by Vinny DeStefano, who's going to talk to us a bit about the tactics being used uh, on the Assange campaign, which we also want to merge in. So, uh, I, Ray, I don't know if you and Andrea have met Rachel yet, but you need to be in touch. Uh, um, and Rachel is at, at the heart of a really powerful movement in Ohio and um, that just won a big victory uh, with the kinds of tactics that we want to be using uh, leading up to 24. So go ahead, Andrea Miller. Uh, well, hey, Harvey. It is lovely to meet you, Rachel. Always fabulous to see you, Ray. One of the most important tactics that people can use when turning out voters of color, and that is our specialty here at Center for Common Ground, is number one, you need good information. Uh, the other thing you need to do is you need to make sure that the information you give to voters gives them information that is going to make it possible for them to vote. So I work with Ray and Team Unity to put together GOTV information that basically did three things. It told people, here's my plan to vote. And it listed what are the three methods people could use for voting. Are they going to vote? That's not well, okay. Are they going to vote by mail? Are they going to vote on election day? Are they going to early vote? Because each method requires different information. So we let them choose, all right, how am I going to vote? And then are you in a state or an area where you have a free ride to the polls? How am I going to get there? That's part of the plan, especially if you're older, if you're poor, you don't have a vehicle. How am I going to get from where I am to where I vote? And then we need to remind people, this is not about personality. You are not voting for prom king or prom queen. You are voting for someone who is going to help you resolve the issues that are in your community. And we've already surveyed the community and then we give them your issues are ding, 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 ding. Oh, right, right, right. That's what's important to me. That's why I'm voting. When they turn it over on the back, there are all the early voting locations in their county, the dates and the times that they are open. Here is the phone number of their registrar. Hopefully everyone understands that early voting information lives solely on the internet. It is not on voters' voter card. It doesn't get mailed to them. It is on the internet. And if you don't have the internet, you don't know where to go and vote. You are limited to maybe election day, which is on your voter card. 
in Virginia, and we've got an election this year. We have 45 days of early voting. So we are already calling voters about this election and going, you may be wondering why we're calling you in August about a November election. That's because voting in Virginia starts on September 22nd. So we remind people of what it is that they have. And in every script, in every text message, we What's your plan to vote? You want to vote early, you're voting on election day or whatever. We are always giving them the phone number of their registrar. Everybody's got a phone or at least knows somebody with a phone that's nearby. And then if you have a problem voting, who do you call when I have a problem? Virginia has same day registration and we generally only work with voters who are already registered. So we are not out there trying to register voters. There's 9,000 organizations that register voters. We've got uh, hundreds of thousands of voters who are registered and they don't vote. And in many states, if they are out for three, if we don't get them to vote in this election, they're gonna get dumped from the rolls. So we work with getting voters out to vote. So we can at least start that clock running again and they don't get kicked off the rolls. And a Angie and Ray, of course, have an incredible depth of knowledge of the kind of organizing that we need to do going forward. We're gonna update the Georgia Miracle book that they did to include Ohio. And um, uh, I wanna bring in a Rachel Coyle now from Ohio. Uh, uh, Rachel, uh, with 70 people on the call, uh, welcome to uh, the world of Andrea Miller and Ray McClendon and successful grassroots organizing. Great to be here and great to virtually meet you. Sounds, it's so exciting to come on these calls every week and hear from people who are actually doing the work and having results since it makes you feel less alone. So Rachel, tell Andrea and, and Ray and the rest of us a bit about how uh, uh, the grassroots forces won this referendum in Ohio, which was a total setup and completely designed for the right wing to uh, you know, crush the use of the referendum in Ohio and you guys crushed them. Tell, tell Ray and, and Andrea and everybody else how you did it. Yes. So we've had we've got one party control in Ohio and pretty much the only power that the citizens really have left is the ballot initiative where you can collect hundreds of thousands of signatures, put an initiative on the ballot and, and amend the Constitution. And we had started collecting signatures to put abortion rights on the ballot this November. And they're also collecting signatures to put an anti gerrymandering amendment next year on the ballot. So two big, big things that would could change the entire landscape of our state. Uh, and all the polls were showing that abortion rights has about 59% support in Ohio, which is a clear majority. So the Republican legislature put uh, their own amendment on a special election in August uh, to change it so that you would need 60% of the vote in order to pass an amendment. And you would also need to put uh, you get signatures, thousands of signatures from all 88 counties instead of just the current 44. Pretty much impossible to do unless you know some billionaires, which I don't. And so it was we had to, we had just a couple months to tell the entire state that there was an election in August, which they didn't even 
they never know there's elections in August. Um, we actually banned elections in August last year, and then they brought them back. Uh, so we got everybody together, unions, grassroots groups, issue organizations, really every single organization, even if this isn't a major issue of theirs, because they know that someday they might want to put something on the ballot. We got on the ground quickly, uh, knocking doors, making phone calls. We were on every form of media. So not just TV ads, but streaming services. We were on TikTok. We were on social media. We were everywhere um, and, and fast. So that but for the first month of the campaign, our side was the only message that people were hearing. And I really think that is huge, but also being everywhere. Uh, and then from there, we we were able to win. And now we only need a 50% plus one regular majority in November uh, for abortion rights and next year for to end gerrymandering. So it's very exciting. Uh, tons and tons of people worked incredibly hard on this. I deserve none of the credit, uh, but want to just give them all of the love in Ohio for, for working together and staying on message for however many days we got. It doesn't, it was, it was, we were counting it in days because of how short that campaign was. We also have Courtney Flynn from Ohio with OhioVotersRights.org. Okay, Vinny, if you can wait a sec, let me just go to another person from Ohio. I do want to point out, I know that Ray and um, um, uh, Andrea, your groups concentrate on populations of a certain percentage of color. But in Ohio, you know, we have Cleveland, uh, Columbus, Cincinnati, Dayton, Toledo, and Youngstown, all of which qualify. So, you know... Uh, plus the Ohio State uh, football locker room. So, you know, we <laughs> there are plenty of places that, that do go. Uh, go ahead, Courtney Flynn. You haven't been on with us. Uh, nice to have you with us, please. And then we'll go to Vinny Stefano, and then Myla has a question for Ray. Uh, go ahead, Courtney. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Courtney. I work. I am the voter engagement manager at the Ohio Voter Rights Coalition. Uh, we basically work to just make sure that all eligible voters um, can cast their ballots with ease and that no one's like being turned away from voting for any, you know, unconstitutional way. So basically we prioritize working in communities that are most likely to experience uh, barriers to voting. So that's like young voters, low income voters, black, indigenous, indigenous people of color, um, people with disabilities, rural voters, any of those kind of people. Um, and we just make sure that people are able to vote. And with um, a HB 458, which passed in December of last year, that really changed all the laws in Ohio. So it specifically made Ohio the most strict voter ID state in the entire country. So now um, before we were able to use like a utility bill, a bank statement, um, a government verified bill, anything like that, that has your information and where you're currently living. But now it has to be a verified state ID with a picture on it. So. That changed um, a lot of things in Ohio, you know, changed um, being able to, you know, vote easily. So now that just puts another barrier for folks that need to go and get an ID um, and, you know, just so that they can vote. So we partnered with BMVs all over the state to pre uh, make sure that they are really um, advertising that there are uh, possibilities for free IDs um, and just all the things that we can do to support voters and make sure that they're able to get to the polling location um, either early or on election day. So, um, you know, just the work that we're doing is really supposed to emphasize, um, you know, access to the ballot. Um, <laughs> and, that the, that, I have to say that's the first appearance <laughs> of a cattail yeah. in our presentation. So, <laughs> congratulations <laughs> for that. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, so we have regional leads that are on the ground in um, eight priority counties, and they work to just make sure that we are getting people in the door, um, keeping them engaged. And our work really um, works because we have poll monitors on the ground that are at our early vote locations and our polling locations. And they stand outside and submit reports to us just about like what voters are experiencing on the inside, what problems are, that are coming up. Um, and then we have a command center on the back end um, that has like a hotline that people call into when they even if they have a question, um, if they're having issues voting. And then our command center is a team of volunteer lawyers who will call the polling locations or call the board of elections and um, you know, figure out what the problem is and why that person wasn't wasn't able to vote. And we can make sure that they are. So uh, we have a lot of things in place, just like our peacekeeper program, which is a program that we um, have for any sort of intimidation or political violence that we're seeing at the polling locations or at board of elections. And those are our clergy and social workers that are trained in de-escalation. And then they go to the site and they help kind of mediate the whole situation. So we have a lot of different ways for volunteers to get involved. Um, voter education is a huge portion of that. And just making sure, you know, to Rachel's point, this was a, a very unexpected, unprecedented election. They outlawed um, August elections in December of last year. So this was really confusing for voters. Um, so we just do a lot right now to prepare for the upcoming election and just make sure that voters know what's going on, how they can vote, what IDs they're going to need, and any other information. That's fantastic. And I want to point out that Ohio voters have passed two major referenda to deal with gerrymandering, and the legislature has completely ignored them, as well as ignoring the Ohio State Supreme Court. I mean, it's mind-boggling. These guys simply do not care. So, um, uh, Courtney, I want you to know that you and Rachel have joined with two of the great organizers of our time, Andrea and Ray, and uh, we have a ton of documentation from the Georgia 2021 um, uh, victories that is applicable to Ohio and that we want to merge all this material in. Wendy will be part of that, and um, we want to press ahead with it. Um, uh, I want to bring in Vinny Stefano from L.A., uh, Benny has been working on the uh, Assange campaign and wanted to put in some stuff on uh, uh, on grassroots organizing. Uh, Benny, uh, jump in. We've got 73 people on the call. Go ahead. There we are. Hey, well, thank you very much for ha having me, Harvey. But a, first, a big shout out to your baked potato t-shirt. I was just there about uh, two weeks ago seeing Don, Randy, and Quest. This is a place um, in LA where people uh, come and have baked potatoes. Actually. It's an incredible, incredible jazz venue. Yeah. Um, uh, first and foremost, just to give you an update of where we sit with Julian, on October 2nd, the British court will reconvene. Uh, they had put an appeal together to have the charges dropped. It was an over 100-page appeal. One of those three judges issued a denial of that appeal with a simple three-page document. And I kid you not, he said, Part of the reason for the denial was that there was too much stuff on the 100-page appeal. He really, uh, uh, it was a cavalier statement. Now, the other two judges have to take and rule as well. And based on uh, previous experience, more than likely, they're going to fine for uh, the, uh, the prosecution. And yet, that is not the end of it. There is one more step, and that's the European Court of Human Rights, which you can appeal to. But the British courts and the U.S. government have no uh, uh, reason to abide by that standing. But it could mean that Julian could get the chance at another hearing, but he will have to stay incarcerated until uh, his case is settled. 
there is one option that is being considered right now. It's something called the Alford plea. A gentleman named David Hicks was working as a reporter in Afghanistan. He was captured on the field. He was put in Guantanamo for five years. He fought his case ultimately successfully, but he was able to get out of Guantanamo taking advantage of this plea. It's a rather twisted form of logic. It says you can, yes? Yeah, go ahead. You can plead guilty, but you can maintain your innocence, saying that in a military tribunal, you will not prevail. He was able to go back to Australia and have his case overturned. The unfortunate thing for Julian is there are no lesser cases that he can appeal to. What? Being a journalist? uh, But it is an option that is on the table until that time. Uh, We are organizing our grassroots troops, which is about what this call is about, for X day. That will be the day he is extradited. We're calling for mass demonstrations. What we've done to take and prepare and till the soil for those max actions is reaching out to hundreds of people across the country. Most recently, we did a banner drop uh, with uh, um, people across the country on Julian's birthday. We shipped, no cost. Uh, almost 200 banners out to people across the country that said, journalism is not a crime, free Assange, and asked them to take and drop them anywhere they could, on freeways, in parks, in buildings, most importantly, to get to sporting events, baseball, football games, soccer games, and have that unfurled so it could be seen across the country. Because unfortunately, the primary stance of the media when it comes to Julian, unless it is international media, is to ignore him. So we have to find guerrilla ways to get his story in front of the populace. And the way we do that at Assange Defense is a hands-on approach. We call, we talk to each and every one of them. You can see one of the banners there. We have hundreds of these across the country. And that banner is a massive one. And we made them so that they could be used over and over and over again. I reached out to each and every one of the people personally that had those banners And I told them, don't wait for us, put them up, drop them anywhere you can, as often as you can. And again, do it at places where you're going to get the greatest amount of uh, attraction uh, and forced press, even if the press won't pay attention to you. Well, that's a great strategy that we can employ. Uh, I don't know, um, Andrea and Ray, if you've been doing that. I don't know if it was done in Ohio, but I haven't uh, participated in a banner drop like that. How's uh, how successful do you believe it's been, uh, Vinny? So far, it's been incredibly successful. We had more than 150 uh, people register. Actually, we had many more than that, but that's when we ran out of banners. We had people from across the world that wanted to take part in this, but for cost reasons, we couldn't ship the banners, so I shipped a high-quality PDF. And so I would say it was very successful. We had, as I said, Um, somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 people that actually registered. And we have thousands of pictures have come back from that action. Now, there were three uh, uh, reasons for doing this. One, get the message out. Journalism is not a crime. The second thing was to put something in our activist hands that ties them to us in places where we didn't have chapters so they can form chapters of their own or work in coalition with the other chapters and giving them something to do on an ongoing basis so they could feel connected to the case. And then of course, the personal touch of reaching out to every individual and thanking them specifically for their activism 
to encourage them to continue doing it and to encourage other people to do likewise. Vinny, Vinny if I can interrupt. Please one do. Of the women, uh, Tecla, was 88 years old that got that banner and got that organized. 88. God bless. She actually go. emailed me just the other day. I have spoken to her directly and she sent me a message with a picture showing that. She's incredible. So Andrea, and thank you for that, Vinny. Fantastic. Andrea yeah. Ray, uh, um, uh, Courtney, uh, Rachel, I don't know if you've used that tactic of a banner drop. We certainly have a lot to learn um, in terms of grassroots organizing from the um, uh, Assange campaign. And of course, we're all praying in the near term that they, they, they let this guy go. Uh, I wish they'd have an event and uh, let um, uh, Julian Assange and Leonard Peltier go simultaneously somewhere. Um, uh, we need to bring in, of course, the uh, Peltier uh, organization, which has been working for so many years to let, get Leonard out. Uh, but uh, this is great, great stuff, uh, Vinny. Is there anything you want to add real quick? before? Well, I you know what? I The image that is right behind me, Mr. Julian Assange, prisoner A9379AY in Belmush Prison, you can write to him. Simply take a screenshot of my uh, picture right up there and write to Julian and let him know he's not forgotten. Whether it was the hands around parliament that I took part in or even our banner drops, Stella makes certain he knows about it. Every action we take makes and sheds a little light in his 10 by 10 foot cell in the British equivalent of Guantanamo Bay. Well, well great work, Benny. Great, thank you so much. We want to um, um, uh, acknowledge Wendy is taking notes on this and we're going to have a sort of an, an encyclopedia of all the different strategies and tactics that people are doing uh, for referenda, for uh, freeing Assange, for freeing Leonard Peltier. And we want to have a real comprehensive handbook uh, going forward into 24 uh, so that we can somehow preserve our democracy. Um, Myla Reeson, you had a hand for um, uh, Ray McClendon. Thank you, Harvey. Ray, it's just always so great to have you on these Zooms. Thank you so much for coming back. And I'm really interested in your new project and I hope you'll come back and up, update us about it soon. My question, which I've asked you about before, has to do with the great urban forest in Atlanta. And the um, now I believe there is a, uh, a campaign to put a ballot measure on the ballot to allow people in that area to vote on whether or not to um, allow the, uh, the, the project called Cop City from being built. It's my understanding that the Democratic um, Party establishment, including the Democratic mayor of Atlanta, has been um, opposing the uh, putting that measure on the ballot. And, I'm wondering if you can, it seems to me that that's somewhat of a, it could be discouraging to grassroots roots organizers. I believe they have gathered about 120,000 um, signatures of Atlanta residents, if I, if I understand correctly. I'm, wonder, I'm wondering if you've been following the story and if you can give us a, an update. Uh, the, the the update I have uh, is that you're you are correct. The the um, mayor opposes the uh, ballot initiative uh, because he supports um, the training facility going forward. 
so uh, that's that's been the case for uh, many months now. Uh, the the challenge is uh, so it's not so much of whether or not it's his support. It's going to be whether or not the the um, forces that are working to get this uh, initiative will achieve the number of signatures that they need in order to uh, get it on the ballot. <clears throat> I don't know what that number needs to be off the top of my head, but it seems like there's enough enough momentum for that to be the case. So it's gonna boil down to uh, what, what the will of the people will be on that going forward. But certainly the, the, the mayor's office and the administration are opposed to the ballot initiative because they are pro um, building the facility on, on the current site. Well, that's gonna be a really interesting campaign to follow and we'll, we'll, we'll keep our eyes on it for sure. Uh, thank you, Ray, for that and Myla. Uh, Steve Kaiser and then Wendy. Go ahead, Steve. Um, I just want to ask Vincent real quick. Is the specific charge against Julian Assange espionage and the British are weighing whether to extradite him at this point to face American charges of espionage? It's actually 17 charges of the Espionage oh, wow. Act. Oh, no. And uh, uh, there was one charge of hacking, but that's been completely disproven. And it is basically for possession of classified documents and publishing them. It's a really twisted portion of, of justice. And it has nothing to do with spying. It has nothing. And the only two releases that he's being charged against are the Iraq war logs and the Afghani war logs, which basically are truthful documents. Even the prosecution on the first day of the trial said no one was harmed by any of the revelations. It's pure vindictiveness for the unforgivable crime of publishing the truth. But it's the 19th, there's actually 17 charges, the 1917 espionage. It's a reframing. The Pompeo uh, uh, um, indictments were simply restating the same thing 17 different ways. I want to point well, out that the Espionage Act of 1917 was used against Eugene V. Debs, yes. the socialist candidate for president who was prosecuted for giving a speech against World War I, American participation in World War I, three months before the armistice. And they uh, convicted him and put him in jail for a 10-year sentence, which was commuted by Warren G. Harding, of all people, actually brought Eugene V. Debs from a jail, a, jail, a, a federal jail cell in Atlanta, straight to the White House. He's the only guy that we know of who went straight from the um, from a federal prison cell to the Oval Office. Kind of the reverse track. <laughs> we have Donald Trump to take. I, I might add Harvey one thing. If I could add one thing as well. We have a symposium that is gonna be taking place here in Los Angeles. Um, that uh, is an author's symposium, which includes Carrie Shankman, who wrote the uh, great book, Censure of Repression, the 1917 Espionage Act. Mm -hmm. And it is a tutorial on how that is being twisted to silence, as Harvey said, dissent from its get-go. It was when simply designed to silence dissent against World War I. When are you right. having the symposium? When is It's it going to be in early October. It's going to be a hybrid event. Right. Hopefully, Thank we're uh, trying to secure the Annenberg School of Journalism. It will include Gary Shankman, Stephanie Marizzi, who wrote the wonderful book Secrets and worked with uh, Assange for 10 years at WikiLeaks, 
It'll include Tarika Lee, who just joined us, who was the editor of uh, In Defense of Julian Assange. It'll have a pre-recorded statement from Nils Meltzer because he works for the Red Cross now and cannot take part. And Kevin Gastala, whose superb book, if you had not read it, Guilty of Journalism, The Political Case Against Julian Assange. All of those authors will be there. We are shooting for either Amy Goodman, Juan Gonzalez, or Giannis Varoufakis as our moderator. Um, okay, let me go to Andrea uh, Miller real quick. Andrea, I know you have to leave. Um, is there more that you would like to tell us about this ongoing project we're now inaugurating for an umbrella, uh, you know, um, omnibus document uh, of which you are the master here of, uh, of grassroots organizing going forward? Well, the only thing I'm going to add is there are just so many elections that are always going on. So Virginia, our entire General Assembly is up for election this November. Early voting starts September 22nd. Virginia, we are the last other state where abortion is still safe and legal up to 26 weeks. So every single election literally this year going forward is very very important all of our wins hopefully put more steam in our sails so that we can replicate what we did add new knowledge and we can keep winning so harvey thank you all so very much and the wonderful folks who have worked on Ohio and will continue to work on Ohio. Thank you very much, too. And Ray and I, we're going to be working on Georgia's Got Municipal Elections this year. Well, um, uh, Andrea, we are hoping that you and Ray will be mentoring the good folks from Ohio and and that we can really join together with a a unified uh, understanding of what it takes to win grassroots elections. The, the three big issues coming up on referenda in Ohio and elsewhere are gerrymandering, uh, abort women's rights, and marijuana. And, you know, uh, it's quite a melange when you think about it, but those are the three biggies. They're all going to be facing referenda fights in states, including Florida, probably, and um, maybe California as well. And so, you know, um, we are... We are looking at a wave. We have 80 people with us right now. We're looking at a wave of grassroots organizing that, that the people have to win. And Georgia was the big one and, and that you pioneered with Ray. And now we've got Ohio on board where we've got a big victory and uh, we need to push forward. Ray, is there anything you want to add before? Uh, yeah, yeah I, just want, I just want to say that we would not be confident in stepping out on our own with Communities United to help coordinate uh, this coalition uh, if we did not have the technology backbone that the Center for Common Ground provides. Um, Andrea, in in addition to being uh, a great strategist on uh, GOTV efforts, also is a a, uh, technology savant. And what she has done is to really put in place uh, a technology platform where we now don't have to go and beg third parties, a lot of whom don't uh, uh, don't even have data that's owned by domestic corporations. They're owned by 
international corporations. So for the first time, grassroots organizations have a capacity to work with someone who is uh, here in, this, in the United States where those organizations, especially for people of color, can go to, go to somebody like the Center for Common Ground and know that they have the best scrubbed data available that is curated for our target markets across all of those states. And that's something extraordinary that had never been done before. And, and Andrea uh, deserves a lot of kudos for having the, the, the forward thinking to begin to put something like that in place that we can now use and have granular data that is, is accurate to go into all of these different jurisdictions. And that's gonna be a tremendous competitive advantage that we'll have going into 2024. And your technology, I assume, stretches into far off remote areas like Ohio and Florida. And um, uh, uh, so I'm gonna uh, hope, and maybe we can facilitate Andrea with, and Ray with Wendy and Courtney um, and Rachel, uh, the, the, the beginnings of a, of a multi-state coalition here to, to do, do this work going forward. I mean, Ohio, Florida, and uh, Georgia become, with North Carolina, become very much joined at the hip in terms of key sort of pink states that we can, we can push in our direction with good grassroots campaigning. Well, I like the organizing that is going on in Ohio. That is great. I am not seeing that level of organizing going on in North Carolina. I see a lot of money being spent in North Carolina. I am not seeing good organizing. Well, let's start with you and, uh, and let's get you and Rachel and Courtney and, and Ray together. And um, we'll, we'll take the documents that we have and we'll uh, build on them. And, and, and soon we'll have a, a joint document that will, a guidebook that will uh, lead us to the kind of grassroots campaign that we need. And I hope your um, assessment of uh, North Carolina, which probably has some truth in Florida as well, um, will we'll come, will, you know, that we can transcend all that. Um, I tried to work in Florida for several years. People in Florida don't want to work with me. Well, we'll see. We got one on here that will, that's named Wendy Wolf. So <laughs> and uh, we may have Carolyn MP. We do have a toehold in toehold in Florida. Let's put it that way. Uh, and Florida is a giant state. We need a lot more than a toehold to yes, do anything do. Uh, with that state. And um, 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 and I won't even comment on the governor. But Ohio, listen, you know, I lived in Ohio for fifty years. So God help us. We need to. We need to make. Uh, we need to make some progress there. And you, you four are certainly the people with Wendy to make it uh, a move ahead. Let me go to John Steiner, please. John, and I see we're joined by Camilla Reese. John, go ahead while we got Wendy. And, and, yeah. uh, uh, Harvey, and I, I only lived in Ohio for 18 years, but I visit regularly. For Andrea and Ray, what do you think it's going to cost to really get you guys off the ground and moving with the kind of power that you deserve to have? Well, for me, um, I've got to buy more IT. 
I permanently keep Georgia and Virginia because people weren't willing to work with me in North Carolina. I gave that system back. So I don't have North Carolina and I don't have PDI data for Ohio yet. So um, I figure realistically $200,000, no, I'm not even going to say that. I'm going to say $85,000 to run IT in any given state. Okay. Yeah, that's just the IT. So and depending right. on how many people we're putting on the ground, that adds on. Since we run elections on our C3 side, we are faith friendly. So we have 50,000 faith partners who work with us as volunteers. So when we build the systems, the volunteers will come. Cool. And, that, and that's very critical, uh, John, to, to the overall strategy. We're not trying to build up um, a lot of bureaucracy in the different states. What we're trying to do is coordinate uh, the armies of volunteers that are already there. So what what will need to be done on top of what uh, what the uh, technology that that the Center for Common Ground brings to the table from our standpoint will probably cost for coordinating those efforts as we go into different states. I would estimate between one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars per state that we want to target on top of that. And and Harvey and Ray and Andrea, what do we think? Is it worth to consider a national GoFundMe campaign for these efforts? Are are you guys thinking about that or talking about it yet? Well, that I, I don't know if that, and Rachel and Courtney we want to include you in Ohio too. That's an interesting idea. Camilla Reese is on the on the line with Dave Saltman, and uh, they you know they have expertise in the, in the fundraising area as well. We should probably talk about that in a couple of weeks. All right. I agree. I think I think we need to do some some yeah. some strategic planning yeah. and come up with what works for the states that we want to target. You because know, there are different states that have diff different objectives. It's going to look a little bit different in Ohio than it's going to look in Georgia than it's going to look in Virginia. So we need to we need to have those kinds of conversations. That's why it's great to be doing this at the end of August. Uh, because going into September and October, we'll need to have a game plan ready to go out to people as to why this will work and what we need for specific states uh, going into the to the late fall. And we're and joined think, by Russell Green, uh, who, who also has a good background on that. Go Harvey, ahead. Let me just say one, one thing in closure here. I think you got, some of you guys know Bob Furtick, who has oh, some yeah. in, incredible lists, which he is willing, I think, I don't know what it'll cost to use for this kind of fundraising on a state-by-state -state basis once you all are ready. Well, you know what, I'm, uh, John, I think what we should do, we're joined by Russell Green, Camilla Reese is on with us. We still have the uh, uh, two folks from Ohio. We should call together, maybe Wendy can help coordinate this, a separate call just on funding uh, for the people to, to work this with. Uh, and. Uh, Rachel Coyle, can you uh, chime in here along with Courtney from Ohio uh, before Andrea has to leave? Rachel Coyle, are you with us there? Yeah. What kind of fundraising? Yeah. Did, what kind of fundraising did you do in Ohio? 
I was not part of the fundraising, but it was, I mean, it was, I am not going to comment on it actually, because I don't want to, okay. I don't want to make things up. Okay. All right. I, I don't know. Courtney, did you have anything to do with the fundraising in Ohio? If not, listen, we got, we got six, eight great people here to talk about this. So maybe Wendy and John, if you could coordinate uh, pulling together a, we can host a, a Zoom on funding for Ohio and for uh, the Com Center for Common Ground and for Raise New Group and move ahead with that. I'm sure Russell Green uh, would be interested in Camilla Reese. Uh, that would be a great uh, uh, outcome to come out of this. And of course, uh, the Assange movement also raised a lot of money and Vinny is a smart guy and we should have him on as well. We can have it as a baked potato. <laughs> All right. All right, you guys. Um, uh, Andrea, I know you've got to go. Thank you so much. Um, uh, Wendy, go ahead. Wendy, Wendy, you want to jump in before Andrea leaves? Please. Thank you so much. Um, I, I'd raise my hand for a quick comment about Vinny, but I have a couple of things I just want to bring with you guys real quick. So I'm going to speak fast. Um, the thing I wanted to say with <laughs> with Vinny, I, I know you can keep up. Um, so with Vinny, I met Vinny Stefano because um, I tabled for Assange at um, a Roger Waters show, which I know some people, Roger Waters, I love him. But um, point is, is that it was such major outreach to audiences that are not typically involved in politics and activism and breaks down that barrier. Same thing with the, the banner drops and all those things. So um, that's just a great way to reach younger audiences. If you can get in with musical groups and different events that just expand the reach beyond what is within, um, like we're, we're kind of, I don't want to say preaching to the choir, but okay. you know, people that might not even be registered. Um, and also like free press it, it, without voting and without free press, like nothing gets done. Um, what uh, Myla brought up with the cop city thing, they're denying signatures, which like the signature matching that happens a lot in Florida. I'm working on the abortion petition in Florida. And what we're seeing is um, people are thinking that they're registered and they're not because if they've moved, we're in a wave of evictions right now. If they haven't changed their address with the DMV, they get purged from the voter rolls. So that's something if you guys want to comment on. And I just want to tell Andrea, like in Florida, it's the progressives versus the Democrats. The Democrat Party is establishment and status quo. We're working with our caucus. Um, we want to have a forum, invite you guys at some point. Um, but they're doing a campaign now called Bring It Home Florida. My friend was going to come on, but she has COVID now. They're going door to door with canvassing packets. And um, she's OK. She's a tough girl. <laughs> but um, but they're going door to door with canvassing packets where you can register to vote. It has all the petitions that are going around. We have abortion, marijuana and the right to clean water. And then it has a questionnaire for people about what they want to know about progressivism, what they want to know about the issues. And then it kind of takes away the, the mysticism and the taboo of what people think progressives are because we've been labeled as socialists and all that. And it really helps bridge okay. the communication gaps so anyway thank you so thank much you. that's something to add to the uh to the pile uh, andrea it's been great to have you is there anything last word you want um we ask people we never tell people what they believe we, we we're, we're a little different we we survey and again we are working with the non-white community, predominantly black folks. So everything for us is, what are your pain points? What's important to you? We don't have those conversations or Democrat socialists. I've never had that come up in a conversation and would be absolutely surprised if it did. So again, different populations. 
we are working with a population that the party doesn't try to turn out, the campaigns don't try to turn out their, quote, abandoned voters. And we know that if we don't get them to vote, then it is exactly like Wendy said, they won't be able to vote because they're going to get kicked off the rolls. Whenever you do signature gathering, have a tool with you where you can check the voter registration status of anybody signing that petition. So again, we don't really register voters, but we carry the tool on outreach circle so that if we did need to check, we could. Thank you for that. And again, I want to, um, uh, uh, with Ray, uh, if you want to get a last word, we want to join you with Russell Green, Camilla, uh, Reese, um, uh, uh, and John Steiner, John and Margo, and Rachel and Courtney from Ohio, uh, and see if we can pull together a good um, uh, focus group on funding. Okay, Ray, do you want to say a last word on that? No, I just want to say we're excited about it. We're excited about taking our coalitions to the next level, the existential threat uh, against democracy is only increasing, which means that and, and the battle now is no longer in DC. It is in local school boards, local election boards, and therefore we've got to be on the ground just as strong. And these coalitions will help us do that. So we thank you for bringing attention to this and uh, we're re we'll be ready to do battle going into the fall. Wonderful. Uh, Rachel and Courtney, do you want to jump in with a last word on that? Rachel, are you still with us? And Courtney from Ohio? Go ahead, Rachel. You're good. You're good. Here. I'd be interested in those conversations. Excellent. Okay, Courtney. Absolutely. We can, we're always ready and excited for support in Ohio. All right, good. We'll pull we'll pull it together. Uh, Wendy will be at the center of it with John. Uh, Camilla uh, Russell, and um, and we'll roll on out. What a great session! Exactly what we wanted to have. Thank you so much, Eric Lazarus. Has him. Good to see you, Andrea. Good to see you, Raymond, um, uh, Courtney, uh, Rachel. We're really honored to have you with us. Thank you so much, uh, Eric Lazarus. Did you want to jump in? We're going to get to the top of the hour here in six minutes. Uh, I did want Russell Green to jump in for my uh, Progressive Radio Network listeners. We're Nearing the end of the hour, this has been the 148th Green Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition. I want to thank Dylan and Rodney for getting us on the air, along with Steve, Mike, and Wendy. And um, uh, uh, we, we, if you want to join the rest of the conversation, second hour, we're going to have Steve Donziger and uh, talk about Ecuador and uh, nuclear power uh, and other things. Go to uh, www.grassrootsep.org grassrootsep.org to link into the second hour of our conversation. Okay, but thanks for being with us so far. Okay, we appreciate it. Vinny, Vinny also, Vinny Stefano, thank you so much. And I'll see you at the baked potato. Uh, Eric Lazarus, go ahead. Very quick, um, we have a wonderful um, climate march coming up in New York City. It's part of Climate Week. It's September 17th. Um, people who represent organizations, um, please get in touch with me, eric at actionthisday.eco or atd.eco. I'll put it in the in the chat. Um, but um, September 17th. Oh, thank you. Yes, awesome. Um, the uh, um, it's a um, it's, we're trying to make it a very big march. There's important things going on in the UN um, right thereafter. 
Um, so please connect. Um, also, it looks like I'm gonna get to work on curriculum materials about effective advocacy around climate. Um, um, so teaching teachers how what to teach kids. Um, anyone who wants to um, be an advisor or in any way contribute, um, please also Eric at ATD is an actionthisday.eco. Thanks so much. Okay, thank you, Eric. Russell Green, if you're on with us now, I think you were. I think you're involved with this march on the 17th. Is that correct, Russell Green? Eric, that was a great update. I'll just build on it a little bit. And I would like to talk to you about curriculum. I have uh, uh, um, some connections to that too that you probably are already in touch with, but I will follow up with you on that. Smuggle, so, good to see you. And um, I appreciate the invitation. I'm sorry I missed the previous segment. It, it seemed like it was really excellent. And I'll look for the recording and I'll look for the follow up call that uh, we're going to have. I am uh, just here again to update on the, the march. Uh, PDA is one of the coalition partners in organizing the march. And what Eric just shared there for you is um, with the platform, I'm gonna put some links in slowly. I'm just gonna very quickly go through it. Many of you have been on the PDA calls. I was lucky enough to be able to share an overview of this in on this call two weeks ago. But very quickly, just to contextualize what Eric said, why are we marching? What is the reason for this particular march, the timing of it, etc.? Quickly, I'll just say that, as you all know, we are in a devastating sort of moment in the history of civilization where we need to act at a scale that is unprecedented. And what we're aiming to do is sort of segment that off into this first piece, which is to get President Biden to declare a climate emergency. And there's many pieces of authority that that unleashes by declaring a climate emergency using the National Emergencies Act. There is a whole vast of executive authority and statutes that become available to the president to use to the extent that he could phase us off of fossil fuels. So that has been a big focus of PDAs. It's been my work for the last decade, is to try to move us into emergency mode. Uh, because we have an ally in United Nations Secretary General uh, Guterres, he, in advance of the Conference of Parties 28, COP28 is in November, December of this year, 28th Conference of Parties, for those of you who don't know, the reason we have the 28th is because the first 27 have failed. We have attempted to try to address the climate emergency and we're having the 28th Conference of Parties with emissions still going up and us beginning to experience even just the earliest stages of climate breakdown. And we're at 1.1, nearing 1.2 degrees, trying to stay below 1.5 and well below 2.0, which are IPCC recommendations, which is a consensus-based international group. So it's a conservative number to begin with. Many people would tell you we're already going past two degrees regardless of what we do. But I don't take that position. I take the position that we should do everything we can as soon as we can. And so we're attempting to get President Biden to declare a climate emergency, to meet Secretary General uh, Guterres's challenge in advance of the Conference of Parties in New York on the 19th and 20th of September. It's called the Climate Ambition Summit. And what we're aiming to do then is to add to that Ambition Summit focus and, and support for President Biden, pressure for Biden, pick your adjective, it's both, and show him that the American people are demanding and supporting a climate 
emergency declaration and for him to phase us off of fossil fuels. So all of that to say, if you're, uh, there's um, this is interesting. The screen sort of echoes what I'm saying. I have nothing to do with that, but somebody is sharing that screen. Um, the point of this is PDA is organizing, so you can join us. I'll put that link in in a second, and you'll begin to learn more about all the different ways you can participate. If you can't make the march in New York, there's going to be marches throughout the country that you could join. If you live near New York, be there. PDA will have a hub. I'll be there. Alan Minsky will be there. Dr. Paul Seitz will be there. We would love for you to join us. We have a special call organizing that. If you have time and you want to help us, we're trying to gather signatures for a pledge of support for people who want to say to their party elected officials want to sign a pledge. We're going to use our citizen activism where we have opportunities to get people to sign on. I'll share that as well. It's basically a legislator, a city council person, a supervisor saying we support this march. You could help like that. So there's many, many different ways. And then there will be many opportunities for direct action. If you're the type of person who is ready to do that, you can participate. So all of that, you can find out more with the links I'm about to provide. You could join PDA's efforts. If you have a different organization that you are leading or a network of organizations, please share it with all of them. The more people that show up to this march, the more people that are engaged in this march, the better. So thank you for the opportunity to update. I'll start posting some links. Just to be clear, the actual march is on the 17th. I see somebody asking a question. Um, and many of you represent organizations. So this is a perfect time right now uh, to go to that website um, and uh, and be uh, uh, and and if you're authorized to to be a supporter. We just cracked 500 supporters, right? Supporting organizations, didn't we? Yeah, so thank over you. That's right. So I'm starting to drop those links. And now, any questions? I'm available while I'm doing this. Okay, so it's at 56th Street uh at 1 p.m on the afternoon of the 17th september 17th is that right in new york and there'll be buses and trains and carpools coming from all the surrounding cities of new york all of that information is available okay this is a big 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 deal um uh, let's go to some callers here uh forrest uh and then mark harrison forrest uh, bodoin and then mark harrison please yeah uh hi I would think to go back one topic away from this one uh, because um, I have been like um, on to Ohio and Florida a little bit because um, what's going on down there is that um, we we need to stop the census, which is what 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 we need to actually stop and uh, he has been a little bit of a free show so um what's happening in florida and, and ohio uh we, we need to advocate for those states okay thank you very much forrest we appreciate it um I, I thank you for chiming in mark harrison mark harrison i'm trying to get on hi uh, this is the, I've been on a number of PDA calls, but this is the first time I've been on this PDA call. So the, okay. I, my, my question is going back to the earlier part of the conversation. Who is following uh, voter registrations? I have been told that in Pennsylvania, 
Republicans have cut back, have gotten, Democrats had a 800,000 uh, registration lead. Now it's been cut back to 400,000. Republicans are registering there. And registrations in Arizona. I'm also told, what's that county where they had the big fight uh, in Arizona? Uh, anyway, Voter register Republicans are doing voter registration. So I just want to find Maricopa. out. Yeah, man, what are we doing when it comes to voter registration ourselves now? That's just the question I had. Uh, does anybody want to answer that? Uh, Wendy, I just got a note from Steve Donziger. You need to call him, see if we can get him in, dial him uh, in. He's texting me. Something's wrong with the link, I think. I'm like sending it and um I'm I'm trying to get it to him again. I've sent it a few times and a couple well, people. Send him the a phone number that he can call if you've got it, please. Um, all right. Let me I'll see what I can do. Thanks. Okay. Uh Mark, I, I don't uh, know directly who is working on voter registration nationwide. Um, um, but we need to have you. Where are you exactly, Mark? Mark Harrison, where are you? in the maryland so i was just asking because i was just because not because i was just asking to find out what groups were doing that's all I, that's well the I, center for common ground and ray mcclendon's new group and the groups in ohio they all work on voter registration okay. and um uh, there are, are probably central groups uh elsewhere certainly in maryland that are working on voter registration as well the naacp uh does that and um uh, Jesse Jackson's organizations have worked on voter registration in the past as well. Well, I was just interested because those are the key swing states. Arizona and Pennsylvania are still swing states. By the way, Russell, I did pass out literature at the uh, March on Washington on uh, September 17th event. And it was announced from the stage about the need for a climate emergency. So I just want you to know that. Okay, that's why I was just just having a point of information. It doesn't have to be answered now, but I just think we need to be aware that we the Republicans are putting emphasis on voter registration, and we just just need to be aware of that. That's all I'm raising. Okay, uh, thank you for that, Mark. Uh, Wendy, if you can text uh, Steve Donziger the phone number to call in, that would be great. Okay. Um, I'm trying to find the um. I just sent the meeting ID. I'm looking for the passcode, so I'm I'm working on it right now. Well, I you, usually, there's a one-stop um, a phone number that you can call into a, a Zoom. I'm looking for it. I'm I'm uh, finding Steve it. Caruso. If you can uh, uh, text into um, Steve Donziger uh, the uh, the one-stop phone number to get him on the Zoom call, that would be great. Steve Caruso. Um, uh, maybe Wendy, if you'll text uh, Steve. Um, also, the phone number of, of Donziger, that would be great. Uh, Justin, just oh, I'm sorry, Myla, and then Justin. Myla Reeson and then Justin Levine. Justin LeBlanc. Thanks, Harvey. Sometimes that uh, hand doesn't really show up well in the yellow with the yellow background. Right. And uh, it's just always such a pleasure to see uh, our great climate leader, Russell Green, here with us. Um, my friend Nancy Naparco was telling me that she was just on a PDA call that you were leading, Russell. And I think I, 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 I'd really like to know how to sign up for those Zoom calls that you lead. Um, I'd, I'd be very interested in, um, in joining in. And I, in a recent conversation on uh, the PDA Zoom, 
um, we talked about, I talked about how the nuclear power industry and nuclear power proponents have really successfully campaigned to decouple um, fossil fuels from nuclear power and have convinced many uh, esteemed climate leaders into uh, um, advocating for continued use of, of nuclear power. And I'm wondering um, whether in this particular action that you're taking, whether in the documents uh, talking about the need to end fossil fuel and de declare a climate emergency, whether PDA has also taken and articulated a firm stand against uh, the using nuclear power to address our climate emergency. And just one other little detail, and that is, I reminded you before that back in November, President Biden allocated 1.2, I believe, um, some a little over uh, one and some point uh, a billion dollars to PG&E to uh, continue uh, running the the um, embrittled uh, and decrepit. Uh, Diablo nuclear power plant in California. Uh, and it, he took that money from a pot of money that had been uh, put aside by Congress to address the climate emergency. And my fear is that any legislation that does not prevent him from, again, using those emergency powers to fund uh, nuclear power um, could be extremely problematic. So I, I hope you followed that. I think that was a little bit of a word salad, but I hope I got my point across. It was no word salad at all. Lucid, I did put the um, sign-up sheet and I'll put it here again. But in terms of what uh, you just named, you know that I'm completely in alignment. We were not, PDA was not part of the initial organizing of this event, but we are now involved in every way. And I will continue to make sure that point of distinction becomes very, very high profile in our conversations. And um, I already committed to you that I would make sure that when we're in conversation with Blumenauer's office and Sanders office, as we move into the next phase of this, I didn't mention in my comments, but PDA also has pretty powerful congressional liaison program. If you're not part of it and you want to be a citizen activist at the level of visiting your congressional offices every month, we're focusing our contribution on this march to also be uh, at a congressional liaison level. And we're going to focus on the climate emergency, concurrent climate emergency resolution that's in the House and in the Senate. And you had asked that we ensure that that focus on um, excluding the nuclear energy is is explicit and i will follow up as i promised on that so uh i really appreciate you continue to be the point of 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 focus and stand for this uh, rise for this and i will uh join you in that effort so thank you okay um does anybody want to, uh, we have an aaron waziak is that uh, aaron are you with us here yeah, that's the yeah. almost the Teamsters guy I was telling you about, Harvey. I'm oh, glad good. Um, okay. Well, let's, I can make let's it. talk to Aaron. Well, and I uh, think um, so, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think um, Donziger just said he's here. He said he's here and muted. He is. Um, okay, he is cool. Donziger is here. Okay, Aaron, do you want to get in a minute or two, and then we'll go straight to Steve uh, Donziger. 
Actually, as a fellow attorney, I'd rather yield the floor to my brother, Don. <laughs> well, as a fellow attorney, you know that he's going to um, uh, want to talk for a bit. Give us a minute on your uh, union activism. By the way, next week is Labor Day. We will not meet next week, but we will meet the week after. So two weeks from today, uh, we will be back again uh, to talk about uh, all these great issues. Uh, we still have 70 people with us. Um, um, uh, Aaron, just give us a quick taste of what you do. We'll have you back on uh, with after uh, Steve and next and two weeks from today. Yeah, so uh, overall, um, you know, in my official capacity for the Teamsters, I, I bargain contracts for them uh, for Local 251. Uh, we've got over 120 CBAs, uh, about 7,500 members uh, active right now. Um, and we are easily the most militant local union in North America. Uh, you can go to Teamsters251.com um, and learn more about us. Uh, you can look at our website or check out our uh, Facebook or Twitter. Uh, but we take the fight to the boss and we don't stop till we win. Um, we have victory after victory because we believe in action as a model. Uh, and I think that transcends really the entire labor movement right now. If you look at uh, every corner and every space of organized labor, we're under attack. Um, doesn't matter where, doesn't matter who, doesn't matter when right now. Um, we're pitching in to come back as a movement to grow back into big numbers. And it all starts with that basic organizing mindset that you know any good unionist has. Well, listen, we, um, are you involved with voter registration and, and um, referenda campaigns and things like that? I'm in my private capacity. I certainly help out with certain referendums. Okay. Well, listen, we want to get you involved in the loop here. Um, we, we've had just a great organizing meeting here to link together grassroots movements in Ohio, uh, Georgia, Florida, elsewhere. And we want to have you uh, with the union movement involved as well. I hope you'll come back next in two weeks and we can give you some more time. Is that all right? Yeah, whenever you need me. So Wendy will coordinate that. Uh, we definitely want uh, more participation from the union movement and we need people like you uh, out there uh, at the grassroots. We're also joined. So thank you for much. Please give up. I think Wendy has your detail, but we will set aside a specific time for you next week, uh, two weeks from now to talk about the work that you do. Is that all right? Yeah, when again, I can sort it out. I appreciate you having us on. We, we really do. We want, we want you with us. Thank you so much. Um, um, and uh, now your fellow attorney um, is going to join us. Um, 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 are, are you with us? Uh, Steve Donziger? I am, if you can hear me. We can hear you. Uh, we can't see you, but we can certainly hear you. And uh, your fellow uh, attorney, Aaron Wozniak, just gave us, if I pronounce the name right, I'm sorry if I didn't, um, if Aaron will be joining us in two weeks um, uh, to talk about union organizing. We want to hear your latest, if you can, Steve. I know you just um, spoke at a fundraiser uh, 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 with the PDA yesterday. We want to hear about this great victory in Ecuador. We've been talking about victory, electoral victories here in in Georgia and Ohio. And uh, I've seen some, but not enough news coverage of a vote that was just won in Ecuador. Uh, can you tell us about it? Sure, great to be with you, Harvey, and everybody. Thank you for having me. Um, something very significant happened in Ecuador a few days ago. I mean, first of all, there was a national election for president that resulted in a runoff, but 
more to the point of this discussion is there was a referendum on the ballot um, put there after years of organizing by indigenous leaders, environmental activists, and others um, that called for the end to all oil drilling in a sensitive part of the Amazon rainforest called the Yasuni, which is an area that is a biodiversity hotspot. It's home to two indigenous groups that have never been contacted by human, you know, excuse me, by, by non-indigenous people. And this referendum passed uh, with roughly 60% of the vote. And it essentially means that there can be no oil drilling in this huge area of rainforest. Um, there had been some drilling by one oil company that now has to dismantle its operations, pack up and go home. And uh, I think the broader significance is this is the first time in history that a citizen-led referendum using the ballot box has resulted in any kind of, you know, end or even significant limitation being put on fossil fuel expansion in, in history. And I think this is very um, threatening, obviously, to the industry. I think the referendum process, obviously, is part of the history of our country here in the United States. And I really do think this offers some, something of a path for citizens to mobilize in a way that can end fossil fuel expansion without having to wait to, for the process of lobbying government and Congress and state legislatures to do what we all know needs to be done. So again, this is, this is, this happened in Ecuador. And, um, I, I think it's an extraordinary achievement by citizens and a huge blow to the fossil fuel industry. So there was in Ecuador, let's just get this straight. Um, a, an organized, um, a movement, to obviously you had, they had to get signatures to get on the ballot. Was this a dedicated ballot or was it part of a larger election? Oops, sorry. It was part of a larger election um, that involved a, a election, it was actually a huge election for president of the country, um, as well as the National Assembly. Um, I don't know how much people are into Ecuadorian politics, but um, a few months ago, the president, Guillermo Lasso, basically um, invoked a kind of an unusual provision of the Constitution called Cruzada Muerte, which roughly translates into mutual death or mutually assured destruction, where he called for snap elections. He was about to be impeached called for snap elections and in exchange he was able to rule by decree for i don't know roughly a three-month period before the elections could be held so these were those elections but this referendum got placed on the ballot because of years and years of organizing and it would not have happened this fast but for this other political development in the country that accelerated the timetable for the election and how many signatures were required 
to get it on the ballot? And what was the margin of victory? There were over 750,000 signatures on the petitions, um, which I think was well over what was required. I don't know the exact number that was required. Ecuador is a country of roughly 12, 13 million people. Um, the margin was far wider than anyone expected. I, it was roughly 60% um, margin, or, or the, the, the winning side garnered 60% of those voting. So, again, it was a resounding success. I think it sort of reflects the fact that people in Ecuador have come to the realization that all this oil development, of course, is something I'm intimately familiar with because Chevron operated down there um, for decades and essentially wrecked a good part of the Amazon by dumping toxic oil waste and, you know, causing huge rates of cancer and other damage that they never paid to clean up. Um, people have come, I think, to a broad understanding that the development or oil development at this point in Ecuador, particularly in the Amazon, in these sensitive biodiverse areas, is not worth it. It's based whatever revenue it produces is not worth the environmental cost and the other kinds of damages done to indigenous peoples and others. So I think it represents a very significant message from the people of an oil producing nation that they want to shift course. And I've, I've never seen this kind of, um, this kind of, of manifestation of that sentiment. You know, obviously it exists, I think the climate movement is growing all over the place, including in this country. And I think there's a huge counter campaign by the fossil fuel industry to block it, to limit democracy, to shrink democratic space. So these kinds of things have a harder time happening. So I think that you're, we're going to see a real battle, even a war between, you know, campaigns to use democratic space political space and efforts by industry to shrink that space as a way to block this type of citizen action that would, you know, diminish the profits of the most profitable industry on the planet. So, you know, again, this is very significant, but it's an ongoing tension. And I think we all need to be aware in this country in particular, that we do need to protect our space. We do need to protect are very fragile democracy. So the type of advocacy that we need on any social justice issue, but particularly the climate issue can happen. Well, I'm gonna assume that the oil industry is gonna appeal this decision. What, what, does it, what does the legal um, uh, minefield look like going forward? I'm not an expert. The decision is binding. It, it, at least in theory, cannot be undone. I think you're right to assume the industry will use whatever tools it can to try to undo it. Um, you know, I, I worked in Ecuador as a lawyer on the Chevron case for many years. Um, the, the level of subterfuge used by these companies um, is extensive and dangerous. Um, I'm not sure what they're going to to try to do, but they will try to do something. And I think it's very important that all of us be vigilant and support the people of Ecuador. 
to make sure that the gains of, of this vote are actually implemented in practice. What's been the reaction of the other countries in the Amazon? I, I read that Lula of Brazil was very supportive of this decision. Is that true? Yes. So it really obviously depends um, on who's reacting. You know, on the, the progressive governments are liking it. Um, some of the other governments are wary of it. I think there will be preventive measures put in place by industry or attempts to put preventive measures in place in other countries to make it harder to bring um, these types of issues to the ballot. You know, just like we recently saw in the state of Ohio in terms of the, the constitutional amendment process. You know, there's going to be efforts to trick up the system and make it harder for people to express the majority will through the ballot box. So, you know, that's already happening in this country, as everybody on this call knows, with voter suppression techniques on a variety of issues. I mean, we're seeing this literally right now play out in the state of Georgia with the cop city referendum, where there's all sorts of tricks being employed by the leadership, political leadership in Atlanta to prevent <clears throat> that referendum from getting on the ballot. So these are, you know, these are age old types of battles, but generally speaking, um, how people view this depends on the politics of the government. But I think the broader public in Latin America is really excited about this. It's, it's an empowerment, an exercise in real people empowerment and people are really, really talking about it all over the place. Well, to me, it sounds like another miracle. I mean, to have a referendum like this in Ecuador with a, an authoritarian government in power, is that correct? I mean, the, the current government doesn't sound like it would be very um, supportive of this no, the decision. That's a good point. I'll say this. Um, the current government in Ecuador, um, which was part of this broad effort to, you know, Ecuador, I've been going to Ecuador now for 30 years. And I can tell you, the only real period of political stability was the presidency of Rafael Correa, which lasted from roughly 2006 to 2016. And he was a nationalist and a progressive and when he um, left and he, he went to live in Belgium, where his wife is from, um, there was a massive effort by the United States to just wipe out his whole movement, which was a, a justice-oriented political movement. It wasn't without its problems, but it was fundamentally a, a positive force in the country, in my view. And since then, there's been two presidents, both you know, in the pockets of the international financial system, both have been huge promoters of fossil fuel expansion. Both have been hugely supportive or, or trying to protect Chevron's interests against the indigenous peoples who've been poisoned by the company. Um, so, yeah, the, the fact that this was able to happen in that environment um, it makes it even more significant, in my opinion. That's amazing. It's a very amazing news. Uh, what do you think is going to happen next? Well, I think there's going to, you know, as with all games, there's counter reaction, right? So I think there's going to be a battle. 
to get this thing implemented in practice as soon as possible. You know, whether Petro Ecuador, which is the oil company that was drilling in this area, is going to comply or how fast it's going to comply and, you know, dismantle its operation remains to be seen. But there's a massive mobilization in Ecuador um, around this and, and other environmental issues. And I think it's going to be very hard for, for this referendum not to be implemented. And I also want to just point out, make one more quick point about Ecuador. Ecuador has now brought to the world, the small country in South America, three very significant, and I would argue revolutionary developments on the environment. It's the first country, this happened in, back in 2008 when it, the country wrote a new constitution. It enshrined the rights of nature in the constitution. It's the first country ever to do that. Um, and then, you know, the people of Ecuador won this historic $10 billion civil pollution judgment against Chevron in a court system where Chevron had accepted jurisdiction in a case affirmed by Ecuador's Supreme Court, probably the most significant environmental victory in court by indigenous peoples, perhaps in history. And now we have the first national referendum to end oil drilling anywhere, you know, through the ballot box. So Ecuador has brought to the world three really important developments that in many respects can serve as models for the types of, of legal changes that need to take place um, in all countries in order to help save the planet. And that it's coming out of Ecuador is not lost on me. You know, I've, I've, I've been there over 250 times working on the legal case against Chevron. It really is an extraordinary country, I would argue, a laboratory for innovation on many of these issues. So it's, it's definitely worth paying attention to. Fantastic. Well, I wonder if we do have a, a fundraiser coming up for Steve, his, uh, his case, um, the case that Chevron has brought against him for being victorious on behalf of the people of Ecuador is outrageous. Uh, the fundraiser will be September 9th in the Topanga Canyon, California. Uh, Steve, if you can flash it up there again, that'd be great. I'm a, uh, apparently a host or co-host. And um, uh, if you're happening in Topanga Canyon on September 9th, join us. But Steve has an astonishing story to tell personally, which we can get to later. But let's talk about this big victory in Ecuador. Uh, Mary, Wendy, Vinny, and Myla, please. Go ahead, Mary. And we have 62 people with us. Go ahead, Mary. I'm trying to get you unmuted here. Um, all right, let's try Wendy and then Myra. Go ahead, Wendy. Thank you. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Um, so uh, sure. just a thank you. Um, so a couple of quick things. Um, one, I'm wondering if you could comment on the candidates. And I know there's a runoff election in October. And so what impact would that have, considering especially just the assassination that just happened and the di different directions the country could take? Two, I'm wondering um, the the idea, like your thoughts on the environmental movement and the labor movement joining forces. I know in California last year, they were really successful with passing some legislation by getting both of those teams involved. And actually on the call right now with um, 
works with that guy, Aaron, that was on before you, the um, Teamsters guy is my dear friend, Carolina. She's from Ecuador, born, born and raised there. And now she's the president of our Pro Progressive Caucus. She's an MD and a labor leader as well. So maybe in two weeks, we could all join back together. And Maya Van Rossum, the author of Green Amendments on how to pass ballot amendments. I know I'm going all over the board with this, but it would be really cool to maybe do something with the thoughts on um, ballot amendments, labor movement together with the environmental movement, because so many jobs could be created through renewable energy and, and all of that. And um, hopefully be, um, you'll be able to talk about your petitions as well and what's going on with you personally. Thank you so much. That's Steve there, folks. Uh, go ahead, Steve. Well, thank you for that wonderful question. I, you know, I, I posted about this on my Instagram, and I basically said we need to a national organization needs to be created, in my opinion, in the United States to bring these these environmental questions to the ballot through referenda. And the alliance between labor and the environmental movement, the climate justice movement, is absolutely critical. Um, of course, the alliance between all social justice movements is critical, but that is in particular really important. I've been running around with um, Chris Smalls from the Amazon Labor Union talking about precisely this. We do talks together. And I think it's really important that people understand that the, the climate justice movement is going to have a really hard time accomplishing its objectives without the labor movement joining forces with the climate justice movement and vice versa. So I think you've hit on a really important issue. I didn't know if I heard you say that there's someone on this call. Yes, who, um, Aaron, who, um, Aaron was Waziabek. Is that correct, Aaron? Do you want me to introduce yourself to Steve Donziger? And as well, I, Carolina. Carolina's from Ecuador. She's born and raised there and they work together. So hopefully- is, 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 is Carolina, did you say she's an elected uh, official in the state of California? She, she was the president, the state, Progressive Caucus president of Florida, and she resigned in protest of the Democratic Party. Now she's the president of our um, Broward Progressive Caucus, which I'm on the board of, and she's one of my closest friends, oh, and she's on the call. Yeah. And Aaron, oh, hi. Okay, well, I'm, well, hold on. Aaron is yeah. with the Teamsters. Aaron, are you still with us? Yes, I am. So, Aaron, uh, you said you're a lawyer. Uh, you want to meet Steve, and we'll bring in Carolina. Have a little uh, uh, clutch here. Yeah, actually, what you do and how am I coordinate with his work, and then we'll ask Carolina the same. Yeah, uh, well, Steve, uh, I'm a business agent for the Teamsters, and then uh, yeah, privately, a big fan. I mean, in law school, we were studying a case. That's you know, hats off to you, brother. Fight. Um, you know, when it comes to environmental justice and uh, the labor movement, we're closely intertwined because we're talking about the same thing. We're talking about jobs. We're talking about improving infrastructure. We're talking about improving our grid. You know, less travel time, uh, more people. We're also talking about doing it in a sane way that's rational and humane. Um, at some point, you know, the bucks have to pop somewhere and, and somebody has to do the labor, right? So at, at that point, that's where it becomes a matter of value uh, for the amount of units that we're willing to put in for anything for work. I think after the pandemic, we've really started to see that, you know, people are, aren't just interested in good paying jobs. They're interested in good jobs that do good things for good people. Um, so a lot of people are looking for better work satisfaction on top of increased labor value. And I think the blue-green you know, opportunity there with environmental justice is probably one of the best outlets we have to rebuild um, and then reclaim surplus labor value. 
Inga, well, thank you, guys you, should, what... uh, you guys should coordinate and uh, exchange uh, contacts. Yeah, thank you for what you do. Where are you? Where do you live, if you don't mind me asking? I live in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. Um, I'm a member and a business agent for Teamsters Local 251, and I'm down in Miami uh, organizing, like they had alluded to, uh, with my sister uh, Carolina um, and others with the United Teachers of Dade. Awesome. Well, good luck with that. And let's definitely, through through Harvey or Wendy, let's exchange contacts and hopefully we can have a, a broader conversation about some of these issues. I've really, congratulations on what you do, man. It's awesome. Absolutely awesome. Carolina, do you want to jump in here? Carolina, jump in with uh, Steve and Aaron. Hi, everyone. Just happy to be here. And Steve, that's great. I'm, I'm happy to hear some good news coming out of a very tumultuous country where I was born in. And it's good to see that that this story that started with you uh, is coming to, to some or closer to our resolution. So I'm very happy to hear that. And like you, I'm also a fan of Correa. And <laughs> I know that he was not perfect, but, but there were a lot of things that started working for the working class in my country and of origin. And it is really happy to, to see that, that people are paying attention to this kind of thing. Well, we're going to have Aaron back. Oh, my God. Go ahead, Steve. Go What's ahead. That? Go ahead. No, I'm just, so, I'm, I'm, I'm just so moved to hear your story. And I love it to hear about, you know, people born in Ecuador who are elected to political office in the United States. It's just amazing. I mean, I know so many, or at least a few people um, that, that have gone on to really successful political careers after being born in Ecuador. And I salute you. I hope we get to meet someday. Oh, anytime. If you're if you here in Miami, please reach out. I'm going to, to ask Wendy to send you my, my contact information. And if I'm after I'll I'll make sure that I reach out as well. Yeah, definitely. Big big hug to you and Aaron. You're doing great work. Well, it's great to be able to connect you both, uh, all three of you. It's terrific. Thank you, Wendy, uh, for making that happen. I'm still trying to unmute Mary Stonewall, and I can't do it. I don't know what's going on there. I'm unmuted. Oh, you are. Okay, go ahead, Mary Stonewall. Go ahead. Uh, uh, say hi to Steve and Aaron and Carolina. Hello, uh, my fine people of Earth. <laughs> um, in our earthly efforts, um, when talking about the, the oil industry and all that stuff, um, I want all three of your opinions on the aspects that um, if we go after just big oil or we go after so-and-so who's running for office who, ha who has big oil in their back pocket, we're we're just we're still whipping a dead horse that we've been whipping for the last uh, since I've been a protest and since the '60s. Okay, um, but if we all right now agreed that we need to uh, put a referendum out there to kick all lobbyists, co corporate lobbyists, off Capitol Hill, only citizen groups and nonprofits should be allowed on Capitol Hill. Because this is a government for the people by the people, not a government for the corporation by the corporation. That we could do more before election next with the next election, if we could get that passed before the next election. 
because it doesn't matter who we vote for. Eventually, those big oil, those whoever companies are going to go and start blackmailing, tricking, shysting, whatever it is, and still be in major power of our money and our and of our country and our communities and our farmlands and our water supply and our water. Because like here in Washington state, they've outlawed you even to take rainwater. If they see you grabbing rainwater, it's uh, it's a minimum fine of 250 and it can go up into jail time if they see you collecting rainwater. So that first. And then secondly, when it comes to Ecuador and other countries and the United States, um, we really need a building code reform in order to see the, the, the slowdown on climate change and to secure our natural resources and to protect our infrastructures all over the world. How come, and then why is nobody mentioning that in today's society in America right now, we have more U.S. refugees than we have foreign refugees due to the natural weather phenomenons and disasters that we're seeing nationwide. And it's not on the lips of not one of our senators or anybody where on the news or even when I come to these meetings, I don't hear people saying, my God, we have more refugees than we had during the Dust Bowl. Okay, and, thank you, Mary. Very appropriate and very well spoken. I much appreciate it. Uh, Steve and um, uh, Carolina and, and uh, Aaron, do you want to comment uh, on, on what um, Mary has just said? I would, um, Aaron and Carolina, why don't you guys go first? I've been talking a lot. I'd love to hear what you have to say. I think, you know, refugees are always going to try to find a home. And I think we have to be realistic about the you know, political state that we live in. Um, you know, this Congress, we might pass whatever we want, but we're dealing with a Supreme Court that's always going to wield Citizens United against us. So. Yeah, and what I think is that, first of all, I completely agree with you. Money has to get out of politics because it is part not only of the, the domestic political crisis that we have, but where we where we don't have a real representation, the, the people are ignored and corporations take over. Uh, what, what happens also is that, that the, the power of those corporations goes beyond borders and a lot of these uh, economical, um, demands and the, and the economical uh, power hungriness of, of these people continues to go beyond those barriers and, and continues to be the driven force for a lot of the abuse that happens outside of the country. And in the name of the American people, there's a lot of, of things that are happening, including what we just saw in Ecuador. You know, it was it was Chevron and it was actually Texaco before, before Chevron. Uh, but, but this is corporations that go and exploit everywhere, wherever they can in the, in the name of greed and, and with their power that, that comes from those dollars, uh, they try to dictate the faith of, of the working class everywhere. So I am, I am really pretty much in, in in your same place. I think that policies that benefit the people and the environment should be in the front line. And that's unfortunately not going to happen. 
until we start removing the, the power of money in politics. And that's a huge fight that obviously can be taken into smaller bits. And labor is one major driver of that. And, okay. you know, we should, we should all uh, try to get together and, and push that away. Thank you for that. I'm gonna call, thank you, Carolina. I'm gonna call on Dorothy Reich who hasn't spoken yet. Uh, Dorothy, if you'll unmute. Um, and, and then Steve, Dorothy is the host of the upcoming fundraising event at, uh, at September 9th in um, uh, Topanga with uh, uh, Jane Fonda and uh, so many others. Go ahead, Dorothy. Hey, Steve, it's so good. Two days in a row, what a pleasure. Uh, I just want to yeah. say that uh, <laughs> that they're going to be really sorry they took your law license away. Because now you're out. Dorothy, you need to lower your mic. I would say they're going to be really sorry that they took your law license away. Because now you're out in the streets yeah. with us, and you you can start thinking about running for office and really uh, get the attention of the of the greater public and get you out of the office and and out where you need to be. So I'm, I'm, I feel bad they took your law license away, but I think maybe it was for the greater good. What do you think about that? What do I think about it? Yeah. I mean, listen, let me just tell people on the call in case you don't know, you know, the, the short story is I helped, in, you know, the Amazon communities in Ecuador win a historic $10 billion judgment against Chevron. And then a U.S. judge recommended to the Bar Licensing Committee in New York that they remove my law license, and they called me a threat to the public order for winning <laughs> that judgment. And, 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 you know, hold on, I'm sorry. Hold on one second. Hello? Yeah, I, 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 I'll be down in a little bit. Um, in any event, uh, you know, they took my law license without a hearing. I'm the first person in the history of this country to be prosecuted by a corporation. I'm the first lawyer ever to go to jail for a misdemeanor contempt. Spent almost three years in detention. And I'm the first lawyer ever to be disbarred without a hearing. And... When I say I didn't get a hearing, I did get a hearing, but they, would, they wouldn't let me defend myself. They only let me put in character evidence. And I actually won my hearing, and then the, the New York Court of Appeals overturned the hearing officer's decision that I had my law license reinstated. In any event, it was another... Um, this is all, by the way, being written in my book that I'm writing about now, about this whole journey I've been on. But... You know, the larger point is, as I sort of did research into how law licensing takes place in the United States, and many people don't know this, but there's a really sordid history in this country of the law um, licensing process being used by entrenched interests, mostly corporate law firms, to just expel people from the profession who do work that's too threatening to the establishment, you know, and this happened in the 1950s with lawyers who are representing people being accused as part of the Red Scare. It happened over the decades for lawyers representing workers and immigrants and unions. And it's, it's 
it continues to happen today. The lawyers, the lawyers that, you know, in my case, take on the fossil fuel industry. So I got disbarred without a hearing, and I hope actually to get my law license back at some point. But in the meantime, I'm continuing my advocacy, as you can see. And you're doing great work at it. Um, I want to call on uh, Justin LeBlanc and uh, Tatanka and uh, Myla and Vinny. Justin hasn't spoken and neither has Tatanka. So go ahead, Justin. I'm reminded, you know, Dorothy, you reminded me of that old Beach Boys song that uh, she'll have fun, fun, fun till her daddy took her T-bird away. So uh, I, I guess it's similar to taking your law license, but we won't stress the analogy. Go ahead. Uh, Justin, Tatanka, Myla, and Vinny. Well, so you know whose license we can take away? That would be multinational corporations. They actually have passed a law in Minnesota, and there are bills going through other states, even through Congress right now, uh, including uh, the Bill 6583. Uh, but that actually will, uh, according to SEC and U.S. Chamber of Commerce established thresholds, uh, of 1% individual and 5% group ownership, those who uh, corporations that have foreign ownership at those levels can be banned from participating in elections, content production, and uh, so that would actually do a lot to level the playing field and even boost uh, Teamsters and other local unions, uh, domestic unions, so that we can have a... Uh, a domestic voice again uh, and not be drowned out by the big money. Now, uh, the other thing uh, about uh, license uh, to thrill uh, would be that when it comes to uh, a just transition, uh, we need good energy solutions. So uh, things such as uh, solar canopies for your cars uh, will allow you to have more battery operated rather than fossil fuel operated vehicles. And if anybody wants to talk with me more about that, that's uh, my actual uh, engineering training. Great, good for you. And we're also starting to put solar panels on top of uh, uh, aqueducts and, and canals, uh, which is a, a big deal and, and needs to push forward. Thank you for that, Justin. Uh, Tatanka Bricker, go ahead. Steve, hello. Uh, it's, it's so good. I just want to thank you for your life and your life's work and also Carolina, but Steve, just to uh, let you know, Wendy and Harvey know how to reach me, but um, I've worked with Lyndon Bill Twist and, and John Perkins since the beginning of uh, Pachamama Alliance and with Dolores Huerta for 55 years now, close friend of the family. And um, with uh, Danny Sheehan and Sarah Nelson now for over a decade and just, just want to say that um, you know you're there with Leonard Peltier and Julian Assange. It's so, so, so very important that that you're still alive and that we we can rally behind you. And uh, looking forward to your book. But the the labor, there's a lot of labor contacts that I'd be willing to share um, and work we've done in California that have broken through the environmental labor uh, line. And uh, a lot of lessons from uh, Lakota people, and I hope they've invited Takata to be on uh, Saturday the, or Sunday the 17th, Takata Iron Eyes, youth leader from there. And um, 
just 2024 needs to be a year of strategic, creative, nonviolent movement for peace, justice, democratic governance, especially referendums, because that direct voice of the people is is often the the last the last resort and the most effective when we organize it well. So thank you, Steve. Thank you very much. Thank you for that, Tatanka. We appreciate it greatly. Uh, Myla, Vinny, and Mimi, and then we're going to be almost out of time. If you want to get hey, to um, Harvey. Yeah. Harvey, I don't know if you can hear me. So I just want to respond to that last comment and Please, thank that ahead. gentleman. Yeah. Thank you for the kind words. And I just want to say when I come out to LA I, I, or California, which I come out there on a fairly regular basis, I'm, you just reminded me I really need to hook up with Danny Sheehan. Um, who, by the way, visited me when I was locked down in a halfway house in the Bronx as part of my sentence. And I, anyway, please send his contact if you know him or have it to to me or through Harvey or Wendy. I really want to connect with him, and I wanted to thank you for what you've done and for your kind words. Lynn and Bill Twist and John Perkins are three people I've known for 25, 30 years from my work in Ecuador, and I have nothing but intense admiration for them. I'm going to tell a little stories. When I got arrested on criminal contempt of court here in New York, I was given an $800,000 bond on a misdemeanor. You know, Donald Trump just got a $200,000 bond and he's been charged with 91 felonies. I got an $800,000 bond and I got locked up at home on house arrest prior to my trial. And they were trying to get me, they knew I had virtually no money and they were trying to get me put in jail pending a misdemeanor trial. And the people who posted my bond are Bill and Lynn Twist. Well, you and Tatanka should know each other. Uh, Tatanka works hand in glove with Danny and Sarah. So uh, uh, make sure that you've got each other's contacts, please. Uh I will, I will, uh, Danny speaks warmly of you. And I know about that time when he went out to be with you and I, I'll get the word to him right away. Thank you. Yeah, Wendy, if you can make sure that um, Tatanka and, and uh, Steve have shared contacts, because I know Steve's not on the, uh, the Zoom, that will be great. I'll send it again. And we, we definitely keep Danny posted and we still want to have you involved in that project I told you about, Steve. It's just been taking a little while, but um, but we'll definitely keep yeah. you in the loop. You're you're there in spirit, even if you don't know it. You're with us. We got you. Great, great, that. great. Okay, this is what these calls are for. We've got six minutes to the top of the hour. Uh, Myla, Vinny, and Mimi. Go ahead, Myla. Oh, thank you, Harvey. Uh, I've been spamming the chat with um, the link to get tickets to the wonderful party that we're looking forward to meeting um, Stephen at, at Dorothy's house in Topanga. And one of the co-hosts, uh, Susie Shannon, has joined our call. Oh, hi, Susie. But the, I've, I've got the link in the chat one more time if, you, if you'd like to buy tickets or support the event. And um, I have a question for you, Stephen. Um, yesterday, uh, during the PDA Sunday call, you gave such an extraordinarily um, um, inspiring speech and or talk, and 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 you you were really emphasized how we have to keep hope alive. Uh, and um, and someone earlier uh, on the call said, "Well, it doesn't matter who we elect because they all get corrupted in the end." And although uh, many people do 
get corrupted, I'm sure that uh, Republicans and fascists would like nothing better than for us to think that um, that there's no use in voting. Uh, so I think that that is a, a very counterproductive um, approach personally. But um, what I wanted to ask you about actually um, is about Sheldon Whitehouse. You had mentioned a mm. book that he wrote um, that you recommend you recommended that that um, outlines the uh, corruption, the corruptive, the corrosive and corruptive um, power that corporations have over um, our policy and our elected officials, and specifically how they intervene on behalf of the fossil fuel industry, and um, and. You may or may not be aware that Sheldon Whitehouse has also uh, been advocating for nuclear power as a way of approaching the climate catastrophe. And he's actually um, sponsored legislation that has um, that has passed to um, to fund the nuclear power industry and the development of more nuclear power. And I'm just wondering if you have if you have any way of getting to Sheldon Whitehouse because he's such a marvelous leader. And we're really hoping that he can be educated so that he understands that nuclear power is just a, a, a reckless and dangerous approach and it's unnecessary because we really have all of the technology, safe, clean technology that we need to address the climate crisis without uh, nuclear power. Thank you. Steve, Steve, you with us? Well, yeah, thank you for that. I, I did not know Senator Whitehouse was such a proponent of nuclear energy until you just said that. I, I admire his book called The Scheme greatly. It documents essentially the far-right takeover of the federal judiciary and really our, so much of our society over the last 40 years. He, he documents how this actually happened. And it's one of the better books I've read in recent years. It's called The Scheme. Um, but I'm not familiar with this position on nuclear power. I think that to try to address the climate crisis by using more nuclear power is, is not a wise way to go about what we all know needs to be done. So I hear you on that. And if I ever have a chance to talk to the senator, I'll, I'll try to engage him on this issue. Thank you so much. Thank you for that, Myla. Uh, Vinny, and thank you, Steve. Uh, Vinny, hey, oh, I know we're I know we're short on time, so I'll be incredibly brief. I hate to be a Donnie Downer, but I was on the PDA call the other day where you were called out to be a politician. And Stephen, I got to tell you, I think you'd make a horrible politician because <laughs> you're honest, you're decent, you are not willing to sacrifice your principles to protect your own safety and well-being. Ergo, you'd just be a horrible politician. All kidding aside. Um, I, I'm going to do everything I can to be at the event on Saturday, and I need to speak to you. I sent you an email a while ago regarding uh, Julian Assange. It probably ended up in a spam folder. But if uh, um, we can't speak at that event, uh, Wendy can give you my number and you can reach out to me. Yeah, that's great. Find me at the event because I'm going to get there early and stay late so I can talk to people. Perfect. That's great. That's great. And, uh, I want to thank everybody for your kind words about my knee surgery. It went all right. Um, I, I had the left done a year ago, and now I have the right. And I guarantee you one thing. I will never have another uh, knee replacement. So uh, there we go. But 
Thank you, everybody. I greatly appreciate it. Um, uh, Mamie Spreadberry and then Mary, and then we're about pretty much out of time. If you want to raise your hand and get in, we'll, we'll get you in, but uh, do it now, please. Go ahead, Mimi. Thank you so much. Hi, everyone. It's great to see everyone. Tataka, Wendy, Spago. Um, I was on the PDA call yesterday, Stephen. It's, it's great that you're here again. Thank you so much for getting your message out. Um, I've been a part of uh, Circle 100, and we were just begging Danny to go help you, and, and I'm so glad that he did. And we were even told to stop asking him to <laughs> help you, so we knew something was going on. So that was excellent. But um, Anyway, I was in law school at the time when the petition from students to sign for in support of you was going to law around and I missed that deadline and um, the, the organizer at Harvard actually wrote me back. So I was wondering, I, I'm on leave now, so I can't sign a law student petition. I, I ran out of money for law school, shocker, but is there another petition where, you know, we ordinary folks can show our support so you may, um, get your bar license back. And, and Danny had asked me to look into the hearing when your license was taken away, because in California, that's public record. And I didn't know that in New York state, it's not. So I sincerely apologize that you lost your um, law license. Thank you. Sure, so thank you for your question. Um, what's that? Go ahead. Yeah, so I was gonna say that um, the, the uh, here the hearing where they wouldn't really let me present evidence other than character evidence. There is a public record of that. It actually we actually videotaped the whole hearing, and there's a videotape of it. It's really an extraordinary hearing, um, and you know we can we can make that available. And uh, I didn't I don't remember the other part of your question. Remind me. Um, we'll come back to her, but Mimi, thank you for that. Uh, I think she meant this. Uh, anyway, uh, Mary, uh, Jeffrey, and then we're going to uh, wrap up with Penny uh, and Wendy. We'll, we'll end with Wendy. Go ahead, Mary. We have Camilla Reese is going to make an announcement. Oh, Camilla, Camilla, will you, uh, let's, can we get Camilla on now, please? We have, uh, 56 people. Camilla recently interviewed me and we put the, uh, I hope we put the interview on the, uh, the website, uh, thank you so much for doing that, Camilla. I really appreciate it. And I don't see you on my screen, but if you're there- Yeah, I don't have my picture there, but- um, oh, there you are. Oh, there yeah, you are. I don't really have an announcement other than to say that people should know that the the the, um, the interview exists. It's about 55 minutes and uh, we cover um, the, the, the nuclear issue generally. And then we get into uh, critique, Harvey's critique of some of the points made in Roger Stone's film called Nuclear Now, which was a big propaganda piece, it appeared. And uh, yeah, so it's really good. I think a lot of people just don't, including myself, um, I didn't really understand um, the nuclear issue that well. And I think that the more people that that get to understand it, the more, more, uh, more resistance there's gonna be, particularly now focused on the Diablo Canyon situation north of LA, where there's an opportunity in October to uh, once when it gets shut down for refueling the plant there to uh, not have it open again as a big uh, Harvey you can tell them about the the Mothers for Peace and the activists focused on that right yes and thank you so much Camilla for interviewing me it was really great it's a almost an hour uh, everything you never wanted to hear about nuclear power and we are 
in the midst of the big fight in California to keep the Abo Canyon shut. It will shut for refueling in October, and we're going to do everything in our power to make sure it never reopens again within a nonviolent framework, of course. No one ever would advocate otherwise with nukes. So, um, um, Camilla, you really did a tremendous job interviewing me. I greatly appreciate it. Steve, thank you for putting it up. The link is available um, at our website. And if you can spread it far and wide, uh, that would be really great. Want to remind people grassrootsep.org. Yes, grassrootsep.org. Um, uh, that's where the link is to the interview. I want to remind everybody Dorothy's um, fundraiser is at uh, September 9th in Topanga, as beautiful a place as you will ever see. And um, uh, come on down if you can make it. And if you can't, please uh, contribute. Thank you so much. And um, um, uh, Mary, Jeffrey, and Wendy, please, uh, real quick, we're uh, over time, we still have uh, 53 people on with us. It's remarkable. Uh, what a great group of human beings. Uh, Julie Wiener, by the way, good to see you from uh, New York State. Dave Saltman, uh, Paul Newman, our, our solar guru there in LA. Great to see you. Um, uh, uh, go ahead, Mary and Jeffrey, and then Wendy. Um, to, the, to our used-to-be lawyer, I would love to hear from you. I shared my contact information. I think that because um, I'm doing work overseas as well in um, trying to equip the indigenous people of our world to have more power over their land instead of being taken and the water rights and mineral rights and everything being stripped. Um, but I just wanted to reiterate on two things. Um, when someone commented on my stuff, they, they brought up the refugees. I had, I had not even talked about foreign refugees. I only talked about US refugees because we have more US refugees in the United States than ever recorded in history. And then the second thing I wanted to make sure I brought up was um, when I was talking about, uh, I was never talking about not voting. Let's make that clear. I was talking about before we vote again, we must do a referendum that get the lobbyists off Capitol Hill, any corporate lobbyists, because if we could get those corporate lobbyists off Capitol Hill, we wouldn't be having the talk about BP, oil and gas or whatever. We wouldn't be having these talks because they no longer would have any power if we could get them off Capitol Hill. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Mary. And thank you, Carolina, for your nice word. It's always great to have you. Again, we won't be back next week. It's Labor Day, but we will be two weeks from today. And um, hopefully we'll have Aaron on with us to talk about some labor issues and uh, we're going to continue pushing ahead. Jeffrey, one point, please. And then Wendy, and then I think we're going to sign off. Another great week. Steve Donziger, thank you going, for going out of the way to get with us. We really appreciate it. We'll see you soon on the fundraiser. Jeffrey, go ahead. Steve Donziger? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, one point, yeah. please. Jeffrey, oh, one point. Is he, not, is he not there? He's on with us. Yes, go ahead, Steve. Uh, Jeffrey. What he's not, what he is? Jeffrey, what's your point, please? Tom? I was going to say the situation with him and, and Trump should be should be different. He should. Trump should be the one suffering, not him, not him, not him. Not him. Well, and if I, 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 if I, if... I I saw Steve's mugshot, and it was much better than Trump's. Let me tell you. But go ahead. <laughs> What's your last word here? I know one. Th I know one thing. I did put. I did put early on the. I did put a fundraiser for the for the game idea, and if I if we can if I could get this, I could probably help. Help Steve Donziger with the with the extra money that he'll probably make. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. We greatly appreciate that. 
Um, um, Mimi, you want to write something real quick and then we'll end with Wendy. Mimi, you're involved in the, in the uh, Diablo Canyon fight in California. Uh, what else can you add? Yes, please. Um, I was wondering if there was a petition for folks to sign in order to support uh, Stephen to, to get his law license back. I know it's gone to the Supreme Court. Uh, Wendy mentioned a petition to Biden. Um, is, is there what petitions can we sign, Stephen, in order to help you? And then um, I had an announcement, Wendy, I'll wait or you can give it about free art for the end fossil fuels march. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Steve, is there a petition to get your license back that people can sign? Ah, maybe Steve is gone. Uh, Steve, are you still with us? I think he may have had to leave. Okay, we'll get that to him uh, and we'll get back to you in two weeks when we reconvene, okay, Mimi? He did leave. We're, we're gonna have to look for that petition. Okay, you thank you. Wendy, you wanna, wanna bring down the house here? I um. I see that Steve's still on. I don't know oh, if right. he doesn't like he doesn't look like he's muted, but maybe he's um busy oh. right now. But I was gonna ask if he wants to just update us on his case and the petition he had with the UN and he has that um petition to Biden for a pardon because he didn't really get to talk about himself or his case all that much. And maybe if you want to drop the link for the art in the chat, that would be great. Thanks. Okay. Uh, Steve, you wanna uh, take us out? Uh, are you with us, Steve Donziger? I think he had to go down to his lobby for something. Remember somebody? Oh, okay. Well, listen, we will we'll pick it up with those petitions in two weeks. This has been a great uh, a great show, uh, Wendy. Thank you for that. We will we'll remember that. Adam, you're going to join us in two weeks. Talk about labor. Aaron, uh, you'll talk about labor issues from Providence. Uh, uh, great to see everyone. Julie, maybe you can give us in a couple of weeks an update from New York. Uh, Paul, you'll keep us uh, posted on your solar. Uh, panels. Camilla, thank you again for that interview and so much more. Uh, Dave Saltman, always great to see you. And we'll be talking about our various uh, projects as we go ahead. Everybody, oh, Laura Chamberlain, great to thank you for joining us from Chicago, Laura. With, let's talk again in a couple of weeks. Ron Leonard, I see you joined us at the end. And Susie Shannon, you are going to get an award at Dorothy's um, get together there. There's the, uh, there's the invite. And it'd be great if you want to. Meet Susie Shannon. Come on down uh, to the to the banquet in um, or the gathering at uh, 3:30 p.m. Sunset Time, Pacific Time in California. Uh, John and Margot, great to see you. Everybody, this is always great and it's always such sweet sorrow. But uh, 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 we'll see you next week. Uh, two weeks, still 47 people. Remember next week's Labor Day. Enjoy it, and we'll be back in two weeks. Take care, everybody, and no nukes. Thanks, Harvey. Thanks, everybody. No nukes. I'll give you 30 seconds to save your chat and transcript if you want. Thanks. <laughs> okay, go <laughs> ahead, Steve. Save your chat and transcript, everybody. You got 30 seconds. Thanks, everyone. And if, if Steve Donziger can hear us, thanks for joining us. And we hope yeah, that you can you, see him soon. And great seeing everybody. I miss you all. Love you all. Have a beautiful night. Make Chevron pay. <laughs>